Coming up is Wild Oak Living. Stay tuned. Today we're going to be talking about a book called The Prophetic Lens. And we are going to get an update uh, about um, the uh, the situation in Ukraine uh, via Mary Rose Kaczarowski. And uh, uh, we're going to be checking in with uh, Maria Tushik, who is in Western Ukraine. She may be able to join us live, but maybe not uh, because a lot of things are happening there. So stay tuned for those two fascinating topics. Thank you for joining me on Wild Oak Living this morning. This is Johanna Wild Oak. I bring you this program, Wild Oak Living, every other Thursday from 9 to 10 a.m. It alternates with the Cannabis Hour. Today's program and program Wild Oak Living programs in general are all about living and working and having fun sustainably and building community in Mendocino County and beyond. And today we are going to uh, have two topics, as I mentioned earlier. We're going to start out with talking about uh, about a book called The Prophetic Lens with my guest. Phil, I would like to welcome you to Wild Oak Living. I would like to invite you to introduce yourself and talk a bit about your your background and, and uh, as maybe while we do that, the the uh, my computer will come back and I will be able to share the information about your book and about you. Uh, okay, so let's see. Good morning, Phil. Welcome to Wild Oak Living. Sorry for the technical difficulties. There's always something. <laughs> the, the tech gremlins are always working. That's right. That's right. Thank you for having me. So I would like to um, invite you first, give a bit of a background about you. And as you're doing that, uh, share with us what inspired you about this book, uh, what inspired you to write this book called The Prophetic Lens. And then we'll, we'll, we'll talk about, you know, the meanings of the word and what goes into it and, and what you're, you know, what you're trying to communicate. But I'd like to first learn a little bit more about you and what inspired you to write about this topic. Yes, thank you. Um, well, right now I am a fifth year, hopefully final year, PhD candidate at Fuller Theological Seminary in Pasadena, California. Um, I'm just beginning to write my dissertation, so hopefully this time next year I'll be defending, and this part of my my life journey will be done. Fingers crossed. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, Prior to pursuing this this journey, I was a pastor for full-time for about 13 years, in a pastoral role for about 16 years um, here in, Cal- in, Los a- in the Los Angeles area. Um, I was a young adult pastor for seven of those years, and then I planted uh, my own ministry called Own Your Faith Ministries out in Santa Clarita, California. Loved it, loved every minute of it, um, but it was time for a shift. Um, some of it was fatigue. Some of it was just feeling as though God was shifting making shifts in my life. And I wanted to, to follow that. And I'm at peace with where I'm at right now. Um, years ago, before even being in ministry, uh, I went to North Carolina A&T State University. I played college, uh, Division One college basketball for four years. Um, some of the best years of my life back then. I had the opportunity to, to participate in March Madness. Um, played two years in the NCAA tournament. Um, in the first round, we lost, but we, we made it. And, and it was a good time. Uh, originally from South Carolina, um, but I've been in Los Angeles for about 20 years. And I I study, I research, I write and speak at the intersection of theology and ethics uh, and race and culture. Um, what inspired me to write this book 
uh, several things. I went to Sundance in 2019, Sundance Film Festival, and I realized the films, many of the films that I watched in Sundance never make it to the theaters uh, because they were they were tough films to watch. They're not so much entertaining as much as they are. We use the term prophetic. They speak to the issues in the culture, the, the stuff that we want to turn away from. And that experience um, led me, I was there for a class um, and it led me to write a paper um, called The Prophetic Lens. And I, I was interested in comparing what I saw with how Dr. King used the camera in a similar fashion to, um, to show the world, to show the nation the stuff that they wanted to turn away from. And so I wrote that paper and I, I, I repurposed it a couple of times for different journals, for publications. And, um, but after the Derek Chauvin trial, that's what made me say, I have to write this book now. It's in me. I, I have so much of it already written. I just need to tease out some more. And the camera in the Derek Chauvin trial, the video was the star witness. Um, Darnett, what Donnell Frazier provided, that was what everyone talked about. The jurors talked about it. It was the video, the video, the video. So I felt like this was the best time to, to write the book, put it out there while it was relevant. Um, and as we can see, it's still relevant. There's still videos in different contexts that are coming out. Um, we think of Uvalde. Um, the videos are, are what are moving people. Prior to that, we didn't know what happened. Um, and, and there's so many other incidents um, that we see video footage. And so I wanted to, to write about it and, and put this topic out there for conversation. The Vietnam War comes to mind. And yes. actually all the wars since, the, since television has been actively and live participating in wars, right? Absolutely. The war images play a significant role in how we um, view our own, our country's role in, 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 these, in these conflicts. Other countries have an appreciation for those who are serving. Absolutely. Give us a little bit of background. I mean, you, you and I think you and I are, are about, about the same age, maybe. No, I think you're a little younger than I. But um, I barely remember the civil rights era because I was very young at the time, and I think so were you. And um, and and I, you know, I think the, the 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 boomer generation that's listening to us, you know, will have a memory of that. But a lot of younger people will not. Maybe talk about how how Martin Luther King used the camera, used the lens, used visual images to to get his message across. Absolutely. So I'm I'm a little bit behind the civil rights movement by maybe six, seven years, something like that. Uh, but what Dr. King did was ingenious. He he knew that the black community didn't have the the resources, the power, if you will to fight against that, that machine in the South. Um, he knew that it was hidden from the rest of the, the country. Like people didn't know the extent of the violence and the oppression that was happening. Um, so he, and what he did was he took advantage of the, the news cameras that were out there. And, and I, they were actually, I guess, starving or ready for something because TV was only a, what, a couple of decades old. Um, if that, and um, this was the first big event or movement that that television really captured, and um, so so he 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 
took advantage of the, the, the mob, the white mob violence, the cameras that were out there. And he used the term um, creative tension. And he says, they didn't seek to create the tension, but only expose it. And to prick the, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but to mm -hmm. prick the conscience of the nation, to broadcast to the rest of the, the nation and the world what was actually going on, what had been hidden all this time. So it was like a reality, a, a gruesome reality show, first reality show. I, I say that Dr. King is a film producer in that sense, that he knew that we didn't have the same resources. So we had to be creative and take advantage of what was there. And, and the camera was, was so timely and the, the cameramen were allies, ended up being allies to the, to the movement. It's it's interesting. I'm reflecting back on the on these sort of the iconic events that I remember, you know, about the civil rights movement. And and you're right. What comes to mind are visual images. Uh, some words too, of course. Doctor Doctor King's words, you know, are also very indelible in our minds. But visual images are 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 what's what stick with us. I think. Yes. Or the little girl running away from the napalm bomb in Vietnam. Um, as you as you mentioned, the, the the video of 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 George Floyd being killed, which I have to admit I still haven't watched and do not intend to watch, but um, but nevertheless, just knowing that that video is there is powerful enough for me. I don't need to see it to know to what I would be seeing. Um, so um, this this is this it gives me an, an an understanding of you know of the power of. Because you have two two important words in the title of your book, prophetic and lens. So the power of image is the power of the lens to 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 focus attention, and and uh, I think one of the points that you make in your book about the power of the lens is is that it it it, it points us to. Well, I think you explained it a little bit in the context of Dr. King, but it points us to 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 look at things that that maybe we either haven't been aware of or that we have been unwilling to see right uh, yes. in terms in terms of uh, injustices in terms of uh, social inequities maybe we can explore that a bit more and and also how does prophetic play into that i i found it very startling that you use those two words together and and how what does the word prophetic mean in that context for you yeah so, so the camera is it, it reveals it, it uncovers mm -hmm. um you can use the word invite or confront so it, it, it's inviting us into it's, it's almost like when you think of halloween you know little kids are invited into the haunted house to be scared to be terrorized if you will and that's kind of what the camera is doing inviting you into this haunted space um revealing the darkness that's there and in some instances it's confronting It, it, it's confronting people who have have turned away, people who have um, chosen to be indifferent and, and, and not pay attention, um, and for some who just weren't aware. Um, so there's an invitation for some, and there's a con confrontation for others, but there's a revealing, there's revelation, which leads me to the, the idea of prophetic. I, I draw from, in the book, from uh, Walter Brueggemann's um, Prophetic Imagination, And he defines the prophetic ministry as um, the act of uh, to, to, to nurture and nourish and evoke 
an alternative consciousness and perspective to the dominant consciousness and perspective. And so I, if, if I were to oversimplify that, it's the, the prophetic ministry or, or, or activity is disrupting the dominant narrative story that's being told to create a new and more truthful, more a fuller story um, for, for, for us to, to, to engage, to, to find ourselves in, to locate ourselves in, but to engage it at the very least. Um, and so as we see what happened after George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and the news of Breonna Taylor, there was this, this, this consciousness, there was this movement during the summer of 2020 um, and people started were, were, were marching at the very least marching who never thought about doing anything like that before because of racism in the middle of a pandemic in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. So 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 it, it, it provoked something in the masses. Now, how well that has been sustained, that's another conversation, but it at least provoked something. And I, I imagine there's still people wrestling with there are people now who are engaged that weren't before. And so that's what the prophetic lens does or the prophetic activity does for us. Do you think, um, so, okay, on the, on the one side, prophetic, it, it, it can also mean uh, establishing or, or projecting a new vision, right? A new way of looking at things. So, so maybe the images that are used to come to, to, you know, to startle us into realizations, uh, uh, also by that, by doing that, project a, a new way of being. Yeah, it, it in in doing that and in, in projecting or presenting a new vision, it also has to cause us to look at the reality of the current state of things. Mm -hmm. Because there's a false idea or a, a false perception of what really is for, for a lot of people. And so something like George Floyd and Arbery um, happening, it forces people to now have to pause where we were already paused because of the pandemic, but it for, forces us to have to reflect on how, how are things really? Because in the black community, we see this and we're not, we're not, many of us, most of us are not surprised that this happened. This is a regular occurring thing. And even if it's not the shooting or the knee on the neck and, and murder, the hostility, the violence, the looks, the profiling, you know, I've experienced that when I was much, particularly when I was younger, uh, multiple times. And it leaves a mark on you and it, it accumulates over time. Yeah. And it creates trauma. Yeah. And it, accum it accumulates over time. It becomes burdensome, heavy. Um, and at some point you've had enough, Yeah. but this new vision, in order to see the new vision, you have to first see the reality of, of where we are now, of how things really are. And yeah. I think that's what the camera allows us to do. Going back to Emmett Till. Yeah. I was going to mention that. Yeah. That was one of the first really startling images yeah. to go around the world. Yeah. And she chose that. Yeah. So if we if we really want a just society, if we really want equitable society, equality, um, let's look at reality. Let's look at what's really happening. I can't imagine what what it must have been like for the mother of Emmett Till to to decide to 
not only to have to see her son herself like that, but to decide to share that image, that indelible image that will be forever remembered with the world. That must have been a really, really um, intense decision to make. Oh, absolutely. I can't imagine. Uh, you know, our tendency is to is to be private, to keep those types of images to, to our families. Um, but I think she just had this sense that, one, she didn't want her son to die, to be killed in vain, to be murdered in vain. And she had this sense of, of there was something bigger than her that needed to come out of this. Uh, and she took, she took that, 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 that chance. I'd like to take a moment to let you know, dear listeners, that you are tuned to Wild Oak Living this morning. This is Johanna Wild Oak, and I bring you this program every other Thursday from 9 to 10 a.m. right here on KZYX and Z, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. And today I'm honored to have as my guest Phil Allen, who is the author of a book called The Prophetic Lens. And we are talking about uh, the many, the many ideas. I mean, in this half hour that we have for our conversation, we are only going to be scratching the surface. Um, and um, you know, I, I, I would invite you, Phil, if 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 I'm if I'm not scratching in the right areas, <laughs> please, please take us, you know, to what you think are like the the really the really important takeaway messages that 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 we have to take away. One of the things I wanted to, I wanted to ask you about uh, is. You know, uh, there the, you, we talked about these iconic images. You know, M- Emmett Till, the 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 George Floyd video, um, the the picture of the little girl in Vietnam. I think when you when you first see images like that, it 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 really startles you know millions of people, and it goes around the world. And especially today with social media, it goes around the world in seconds. It goes around the world live sometimes, right? As it happens, um, do you think there is? Um, there is there is a, a limit to the extent that that visual images that the lens can startle us into awareness and point us in a different direction. Great question. And I was actually processing this in the last day or so. Um, yes, to answer that question, yes, I, I think there's it. It could do an, an initial work. Um, there's this tension between how much of it is traumatizing mm-hmm. and how much of it is necessary for moving forward. And how do we reconcile the two? How do we hold the two in tension? Um, you know, as a Christian, I, I, I have to go back to the cross, a public display of a man being crucified, who in the, in the Christian faith, we we consider him to be God in flesh. So how do you, you have to hold those two in tension. And so, but, but there has to be a sustaining work as well. And even scripturally, if we were to talk, go there down that road, the, the spirit was the sustaining work after the, the, the person of Jesus. Well, in our lives, there has to be a spirit of activism, a spirit of healing as well, a spirit, um, that is determined and resilient to not let this moment die, mm-hmm. to not lose the moment. So while the camera can startle us, um, it can it can jolt us, it can reveal something new and different and disorienting. There has to be a, a work that continues beyond that. 
And that's 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 the hard part. Um, I think I think our tendency in this in this country and maybe even in the world and society, but in this country is to 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 move on, mm-hmm. to get back up and, and move on. Oh, that was bad. That was so bad. And, and be productive again. And, and life goes on. And I think part of it is to pause and lament. To sit for a moment. To allow it to disorient. Disorient us to the point where what what has been is no longer comfortable. What has been is no longer acceptable. We won't get that if we if we're just quick to move on. So I think that's part of the sustaining work. Um, there's also a work of, of wellness. You know, I, I like to in my nonprofit, the Racial Solidarity Project, part of our one of our pillars of activism is wellness. Wellness for myself so that I can sustain the work. Wellness for um, Af- fellow African-Americans, other people, other people of color who may be targets of racial bigotry or, or uh, systemic structural racism. But wellness for my white brothers and sisters as well so that they can be in the, the game, in the work and not retreat, not be defensive, not be fearful, but to stay and engage in that coalition needs to be well to continue that work. So the camera is limited, but we still have to to to, to sustain that work um, that, the, that that image started. If and, that makes sense. Yes, definitely. Uh, uh, and and also the ca- the camera is limited, and also um, the camera can, if if used in the wrong way, can desensitize us, right? Or can give yes. us an excuse to just hop and hop and hop, like on Instagram or TikTok. You know, just hop from one to the next. If you don't like one, hop to the next one. And and you're never really, like you said, sitting and reflecting and allowing yourself to be disoriented and and thinking. What's going on here and what can I do about it? Yes, great, great point. The, the camera, the, the videos can be um, presented irresponsibly. Um, they, the danger is also where this violence in these videos can be so normalized to where, like you said, we're desensitized to them, uh, which I think happens. That's why sometimes I have to pull away from social media um, and not... Because I don't want to lose. I don't want to be desensitized. I want to feel. I want to grieve if I see that. And it doesn't have to be just just be racial violence. I want to feel when someone else is suffering. I don't want to lose that sense of feeling that. Yeah. Right. So I have to pull away sometimes, uh, and then come back to it again, um, to where it becomes fresh again to me. Um, and the camera can be used in in in, in other ways um, to manipulate. Yes. Um, it can be edited. It can be taken out of context. It can be interpreted in a way where it um, perpetuates misinformation. Right. Um, we look at and I talk about this in the book, the statement that the Minneapolis Police Department put out. Prior to us seeing the video that Darnella Frazier captured. That statement does not reflect what happened in that video. They knew they had body cam footage. They knew there would be surveillance footage. But how would that have been presented to us? Yeah. It would have had to fit their narrative. But Donella Frazier and her proximity, her, her positioning, capturing the posture, the eyes, the countenance of Derek Chauvin, hearing the voice of, of, of George Floyd, that 
created a different narrative that disrupted what that statement was, was starting, the story that statement was starting. What, what are some of the important messages in your book that we haven't talked about yet? We've got about maybe 10 minutes left, and, and I, would, I would love to, to have you take us there. Well, so much. A um, couple yeah. things. <laughs> One is the context. I started the book, the first couple of chapters are not really about the camera, but I had to give context for the black experience and in context for whiteness or white supremacy, the ideology. And it's important that I clarify this because, and I think, I think a lot of people get it, but there's some who may be um, defensive when they hear explicitly talking about whiteness or white supremacy. And you got to understand, we're not necessarily talking about white persons, per se, white ethnicity. We're talking about this, this invented construction called white or race, but specifically white. And so this vantage point, this worldview, this way of being in the world, like blackness is a way of being in the world as well. And then the white supremacy ideology that came from that, and we can trace that back to antiquity. I'm doing that research right now. We can trace that back to prior to, to the, the, the Christian faith. Um, I would love to book. have you talk about, talk about that more when you write your next book about that. <laughs> Because it'll be, my, it'll be in my dissertation. Because that is something I've been I've been thinking about all my life. You know, where does that come from? Yeah. Yes. So 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 the, these narratives of light versus dark skin, white versus black skin, can be traced back to how Greek and Roman thinkers viewed and 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 created narratives about Ethiopians, Nubians, the Kushites, and if you stu- if you you study it, you will see the same things that we're talking about today that we're trying to undo today those were the same narratives that were we're talking thousands of years ago about the ethiopians so they would be the modern day african-american um they would kind of be that 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 comparison that analogy um equivalent i should say so we, we need to understand the black experience that i call it the liminal experience the in-between um we see what we see on, on television. We see the images that are presented. But what we don't see are the day-to-day violence. We don't see the microaggressions. We also don't see the beauty, the creativity, and the resilience. We don't see all of that. Um, I talk about being my skin being seen, my body being seen in certain spaces, but not feeling like my humanity is seen over the course of my life. Um, talk about you know, white supremacy or, or, or whiteness as, an, as, a, as a worldview, um, I think people should reflect on it. I invite my white brothers and sisters to reflect on how has that formed you? How has that formed them? Because um, whiteness has formed all of us. This, this idea has formed all of us. And we can trace that back to the 1600s when it became a, a, a legal term. Prior to that, you would not, people would not have been called white. I would not have been called black, but that term was invented for a reason to divide poor whites and indentured and enslaved black people who were, had revolted against the, the, the wealthy. And so this term white came to divide them and, and, and separate. I mean, it came with privileges as well. So that's a whole nother, another thing. Um, so I talk about that. And I think it's important to reflect on that context. 
as to why the camera is so important. That's why I put it in that in that in that order. And that lens um, means not just you know new modern technology of cameras, but lens means a way of looking at the world, a way of viewing the world. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, the other part is filmmaking as a tool. You know, we talked about the camera in certain hands. And you go back to Birth of a Nation in the early 1900s that, that created this narrative about the threatening, the threat that black men particularly pose, especially to white women or to white society. Black people in general, but especially black men. And you can see it all throughout the film. It was the, film the film was shown in the White House. And it, it made heroes of the Ku Klux Klan in the South as the, the, the saviors of, of the nation. Well, that film, you could see themes of that throughout other films over the decades following that. But then the prophetic lens is also seen in the Spike Lees, the Ava DuVernay's, the John Singleton's, the Gordon Parks, um, starting with Oscar Micheaux, who did films around the same time, but just after Birth of a Nation in the early 1900s that depicted a different narrative about black people, a more beautiful, a more a fuller picture of what black people um, could be of who we are. So there's a prophetic lens there, too. So so I, I say all that to say, pay attention to the messaging that's presented to you in in film. What does it say about me? What does it say about you? What does it say about the people around you? It's constant. It's constant. And if we're not careful, we're being shaped and conditioned to either um, be anti-racist or to perpetuate racism. Yes. Thank you for, for giving us this, this context. Um, as, as I said earlier, uh, in this half hour that we've had together, we can only uh, touch on, on the many fascinating subjects and information that you share with us in your book. The book is called The Prophetic Lens, The Camera and Black Moral Agency from MLK to Darnella Frazier. And uh, my guest is the author of the book, Phil Allen. Um, can you give us uh, some information about how people might be in touch or, and also where people can get your book? Yes. Um, so you can get in touch with me uh, through my website. You can email me through my website, philallenjr.com, philallenjr.com, um, philallenjr.com. Uh, my social media handle on Twitter is philallenjr. Instagram, Phil Allen Jr. IG. Facebook, Phil Allen Jr. Real simple. I, I kept trying to keep it simple. Mm -hmm. um, you can get the book by going to Amazon and just typing in the prophetic lens um, or my name, Phil Allen Jr., and it should come up. And also, I'm sure local bookstores here can, can order the book if they don't already have it on yes. their shelves. The book, again, is called The Prophetic Lens, The Camera and Black Moral Agency from MLK to Darnella Fraser. I thank you so much. Um, uh, we have, I think, a couple of minutes before we have to go to our next segment. So if you would like to share any closing thoughts or, or, or anything that, that you would like to, us to take away from this interview, uh, we would appreciate that. Sure. You know, I, I use the term in the book that Darnella Fraser was not a She was not a bystander. She was a withstander. Uh, and I invite all of us to be withstanders, to resi resisting um, injustice, but also being present with 
those who experience injustice and inequities. So there's two meanings there. So I invite people to not be afraid, to no longer be, on, be silent and be on the sidelines, but to be a withstander. Stand with, be present, um, and stand against, resist injustice. And, and witness. And witness. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Thank you so much, Phil Allen Jr., for joining us on Wild Oak Living this morning. I wish you all the best for your book and for your next books, which I'm sure are down the road, <laughs> and yes, for, all you you, so for all your important work. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. You, this is uh, Johanna Wildock, and you are now listening to Wild Oak Living. And we are going to be shifting gears now. Um, I'm not going to take a music break because we have a lot to talk about. Uh, we are joined now by uh, Mary Rose Kaczorowski, and we're going to be talking about, we're going to be getting an update from Mary Rose about what's happening um with uh in west in Ukraine in general but specifically in western Ukraine you might remember that a few months ago actually uh, we had uh, we had uh, Maria Tushik on who is the wife of a mayor of a town in in uh in western Ukraine and she joined us by Zoom and she she talked to us about what was happening in her town at that point western Ukraine was not very much in, involved in the in the active war in the sense that it, they weren't really being attacked, but they were seeing the influx of a lot of uh, refugees from eastern Ukraine, and they were they were suddenly being uh, in having to deal with with a lot of extra th additional things that they didn't have to deal with before, like taking care of the wounded, feeding ref feeding and housing refugees, uh, and many more. And um, there were some uh, some fundraisers organized in response to that uh, very generous Mendocino County response. And Mary Rose is going to give us an update about some of that and also uh, what's happening more recently. We were hoping that Maria could join us this morning, but um, because, as Mary Rose will explain, because of the... Um, um, air, the missile attacks that, that uh, Russia has been subjecting Ukraine with all over Ukraine, including Western Ukraine. Um, I think two, day, two days ago, there were 80, 80 <laughs> missile attacks in, in one day, and, and there have been more since then. So right now, they are Maria is experiencing power outages and won't be able to join us live on Zoom. But Mary Rose uh, has been in contact with her and has been emailing with her And uh, and I'd like to now welcome Mary Rose Kaczorowski, who is a Mendocino County resident and a local local activist, and she has done a lot to raise funds and to help communicate about what's happening in <coughs> Ukraine. So welcome to Wild Oak Living, Mary Rose. It's good to have you back. Good morning. Good morning, Johanna. Thank you for all the work you do, and thank you for Mendocino County for coming together as community to help each other and others beyond. Um, as we, you all probably remember, Kuptinsky is a small town in Ternopol, Oblast, Ukraine, with a population of just over 13,000 citizens. And uh, their town was, as Johanna mentioned, heavily involved in helping refugees fleeing the conflict areas. And uh, unfortunately, um, since October, uh, um, they have... Missile strikes have been coming closer and closer. And just to uh, remind people, we had fundraisers, and we did a um, – I, I personally did a uh, 
fundraiser that was direct aid to the city of Ternopil to help with their refugees who were coming into uh, their area that had basically nothing, left everything behind. And um, basically uh, the way I was connected with Maria was in March of 2022 there was a international women's organization Zoom meeting, which I was part of, that featured women, peace, and security in the face of Russian aggression and perspectives from Ukraine. So that's how I met Maria Tushek, who's the wife of the mayor there. And um, she was going to um, join us to talk about how a, a donation of – we raised about $1,800 from individuals. This is from small di- – donations from this is separate separate from the event that took place uh uh, earlier this year at rotary park yeah Yeah. because johanna and i and uh so many others helped get the word out about the rotary park event that was a huge success but this was something separate this is more like a direct people to people campaign and i should mention Um, mary rose that I, i did invite the the rotary to to join us this morning to talk about you know the 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 help that they're providing through that fundraiser, but uh, I did not hear back by airtime. So hopefully we can do that in a future in a, in a future program. Go I ahead. do hope so because mm-hmm. that fundraiser was huge. It was really important, and um, that helped in its in its in in, in its own way. Um, not that anybody's way is, is the best way. Every little bit helps here. Mm-hmm. So um, back in August. Um, I had an email. I stay in communication with Maria, and she mentioned how our donation was used to establish a community laundromat for internally displaced persons. They created a humanitarian hub, and since their community is small, some of the houses that had internally displaced persons did not have a washer or dryer. Some had to wash, hand wash their things or go to a collective center and try to use washers and dryers. And with winter coming, they were planning uh, to understand, you know, there was, there was a higher demand for people just to stay clean and keep their clothes and sleeping bags and blankets clean. So they established this community laundromat. And what they did was... Uh, create the hub in an old wing of a school, and they reconstructed the toi- one of the toilet pipes to turn it into supply for a small laundry room. And thankfully to our uh, contribution, along with a partner, an NGO, that helped fund the project, they had were able to uh, set up some dryer. Maria had sent me some of the photos um, that I hope somehow I could share uh, with others, but um, of people getting their clothes washed. This is this is so basic mm-hmm. and so needed. And um, so I had another communication uh, the other day. Uh, we were hoping to have Maria talk about this project and what's going on. Um, already back in August, Maria noted to me donations were dropping off and they were seeking additional help for NGOs to assist with basic needs and um as of october 11th i'm reading from some of these emails uh you know they had some missiles hit nearby in october few were shot down by their forces but they had no electricity 
uh, and that was on October 11th, because uh, some of the stations that generated electricity were damaged. And as of as we all know, um, according to the BBC today, more strikes have been recorded reported across Ukraine, and that's as mentioned by Johanna, that's uh, days after one of the Russian, Russia's most intense bombardments of the war happened. Um, so today, a gas production plant in the east and a missile factory were some of the latest targets. And many missiles that were fired by Russia on Tuesday were intercepted, but those that did manage to strike infrastructure targets had the effect of further depleting Ukraine's power reserves. But this morning... I got, uh, the email from Maria came in. I'll read it verbatim. Honestly, I'm not sure what to say. This is surreal that something like this is still happening. I am only able to write this email because of limited access to a generator at City Hall. I'm scared for my country. I'm scared for the people that have nowhere to go. It's going to be a long and harsh winter, and many innocent people will die simply because we are being terrorized. All of our critical infrastructure is being targeted. And she asks, where are all of these human rights organizations when we need them the most? And her um, other email um, basically st said uh, that she will stay in touch um, and keep us posted. Her gratitude for what we have done not only helps with humanitarian aid but for other people to care and to know what is going on is is just so important to people in ukraine right now and one of the th most important statements i heard her say back in march was please don't forget about us yes and and i think johanna and i have been trying to keep her voice alive um as the situation shows up on news feeds and then drops off to something else. Yeah, as as we were talking about, as I was talking about with my guest in, in the first segment of this show, you know, it's it, it, visual images and news reports and things can can get can point our attention to things. But we are the ones that that have to decide to keep our attention on things rather than being distracted and moving on to the next urgent and important and and visually stimulating thing, right? Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, it's cold in Ukraine. She wrote uh, after that other email I just read, uh, they have limited internet and network connections. It's going to be a hard winter for Ukraine. And despite all, um, they're somehow surviving. And I have decided, um, uh, this was back in August after we sent the first um monetary contribution an artist local artist came up to me and she had raised some money through the sales of her art so i think we're going to be doing another silent drive i guess fundraiser because the war the war we don't know when it's going to end but the critical need is always going to be there there's so much um ukraine is such a huge country and if we could just help one part and one group of people that will make a difference. And if everybody does that from wherever they live around the world, um, helping in a, a war zone area will make a difference. 
Um, and I'm going to encourage people if they would like to help uh, with another direct fund to the town of Kamchinsky to contact me. I, I funnel the money legally through her brother, and then it gets to wired to um, over um, different uh, – it's hard to explain how their system works. So it gets wired over there, and it, it gets put to use. And as I mentioned, this community free laundromat um, or laundry hub, it's not a laundromat. It's for uh, the internal – internally displaced um, people. Now, um, with electricity down, um, it's probably not no longer operating, but I'm sure once electricity and infrastructure and the grid gets uh, going again, unless um, more missile strikes come in. But the missile strikes are happening everywhere. It's just um, trying to destroy the infrastructure and the will of the people. So if people want to help out, you could reach me. I'm going to give out my phone number, and if you have any ideas on how to help with this, um, I'm at 510-459-9448. That's 510-459-9448. And I encourage people to give to organizations that are outreaching to uh, and helping Ukraine. So there's so many ways, and a lot of, a lot of people have already done that, but... Uh, Giving Tuesday is coming up, Tuesday after Thanksgiving. Maybe we could help out with uh, these organizations helping Ukraine and to give a portion of your um, donations to help the people of Ukraine. We have experienced in this, you know, in our town what it's like to be without electricity and it's cold right now. So if you can imagine, if you can't turn on the heat, build a fire, turn turn on your tap... Um, what it's like for both going through this. Yeah, we had a small taste of that during the power outages during the fire season uh, last year. And and that, you know, that only lasted a couple of days and it was during a relatively warm time of the year. In it. But if you translate that into not just days, but weeks or months during the coldest part of the year, and, you know, Ukraine, I think, is a lot colder than Mendocino County, most parts of Ukraine anyway, and uh, so that's, you know, that's that's a really important consideration. And one of the things I want to point out is that uh, Mary Rose has found a way, you know, of, of directly uh, getting uh, funds to uh, this town that, that Maria Tusik lives in. And those funds are being directly put to use. But as Mary Rose said, there are many ways, there are many ways of, 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 of supporting Ukraine, you know, Starting, starting with, as you said, Mary Rose, simply being aware of what's happening, and not losing interest and not losing focus. Exactly. Yeah. I wonder uh, if we could open up the phone lines. Do we have some time? If anybody has any comments to talk about their feelings about this. Yes, if you would like to share, or if you have questions, or if you would like to talk to us about anything that you're doing that you could invite others to support, that's also a, a great opportunity for you to step forward now and say, hey, I'm doing this fundraiser, or I'm I'm collecting you know, um, things, or I'm doing this to support Ukraine. And if you want others to join you in that, that would be a, a good possibility right now if you want to share that information. You could reach us here in the studio to be on the air, and the phone number is 707 707- Eight nine five, two four four eight. 
And I just want to make sure that the phones are turned on in the studio. And, right. and now they are. Okay. So if you want to join us here, if you want to share what your feelings about what's happening, um, or like I said, if you want to connect with others and and do things to su- to support the people of Ukraine, uh, it's you know there the, as you said uh, earlier, Maria Tushik did share that you know as of about August, um, uh, help and donations were starting to drop off, you know, and there's there is this. Um, there's this term disaster fatigue. And of course, we can't be in high vigilant response mode 24 hours a day. But uh, that doesn't mean that, that we need to lose focus. And we do have another call. So let me just bring up this caller. Let's see. Hello, caller. You're live on Wild Oak Living. Hi. Um, I realized that the... Uh, can you, please, can you uh, please turn your, te- your, your radio off? Yeah, I'm doing I'm doing that. I realize now that the Congress has now gone to the Republicans, and I know they're going to try to negotiate a difference in the uh, contributions to the Ukraine um, fight. And I just want to make sure that everybody uh, calls their congressperson and forcefully uh, supports Ukraine and their struggle. It's really important that that we keep that going. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Thank so you for having for, So important for you to raise up the issue that we do have a voice with our Congress and to uh, make sure they hear from the people. Yeah, it's important. You know, the, the people don't often call or write or you know, wire or whatever their congressman, and it's really important that we call them or we write to them and tell them about our issues, whatever they are, but especially Ukraine. Yeah. Yep. That's thank an, you. Thank you for joining us. Yeah. Since the invasion began, actually, this war started in 2014 with the takeover of Crimea. The invasion basically resulted in tens of thousands of deaths on both sides and the war- it's the largest Europe's largest refugee crisis since World War II and that's that's beyond uh, phenomenal for um, this day and age where um, it seems like if we have not learned uh, how to get along and when you do not participate in your government uh Uncomfortable things happen. We are the government. We are we are um, people who have a voice, and uh, we make a difference with how we use our voice, our vote, and our our dollars. So maybe um, we do have a lot of problems, you know, in in our country. There's uh, people ha- are struggling, but, but there's a chance to those who have extra um, resources to contribute locally and also to help the international problem. We have uh, refugees have been coming here to the U.S. I haven't tracked that. But, um, you know, this is this is something that we, as, as people, can help. We are not powerless. Let me just let people know that you are listening to Wild Dog Living here on Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYXNZ. This is Johanna Wildog. This program comes to you every other 
Thursday from 9 to 10 a.m. And in this segment that we are you are listening to right now, I am joined by Mary Rose Kaczarowski, who is a local uh, activist, and, and uh, she is doing a lot to raise attention and to keep attention focused on what is happening in Ukraine. And she is in touch with Maria Tushik, who is the wife of a neighbor in the town of, remind me the name of the town, I keep forgetting that. Kuczynski, the small t city outside Kuczyns of Kuczynski, Kuczynski yes. exactly. I don't know why that name doesn't want to stick in my brain. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Thank, and, and she's giving us an update. We had invited Maria Tushik to in join us live on Zoom from Kuczynski, but because of the recent uh, air attacks and missiles from, from Russia at, that are targeting critical infrastructure in Ukraine, uh, she, there is a power outage now, and she was not able to join us, but Mary Rose is in touch with her, and she's sharing the information that she has received from Maria Tushik. Uh, it, it's, uh, what's so frightening for me to see Mary Rose is that um, – you know, I mean, it's 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 terrible enough when when armies fight each other, you know, uh, of, in in a mil in a military encounter, but what's what's scary enough, what's scary for me to see is 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 all the civilian infrastructure that's being targeted, um, you know, what in in what appears to be sort of a shift in strategy because the military, uh, the planned military takeover didn't maybe go as well as they thought it would or as quickly as they thought it would, and so now. Now it, there seems to be a focus on destroying civilian infrastructure in in what appears to be a a um, a move to to basically wear down and wear out and and uh, the people of Ukraine and and to take away from them what they need to to survive on a daily basis. It, it's it's basically trying to erase the Iranian. Uh, I'm sorry, Ukrainian culture. Same, uh, I don't know why I said it, Ira Iranian. I'm, I also have Iran and the women of Iran on my mind and what's going on over there. And it's, you know, human rights is um, something that we all have to stand for. Human rights is um, being uh, erased by some of these dictators. I don't want to get too much into the politics. This is more about uh, a humanitarian... People yes, people that's the point I was outreach. trying to make. Is is that there's yeah. so much humanitarian suffering now, being happening in the Ukraine because civilian infrastructure is being targeted, which means people don't have running water, people don't have heat, right. don't, people don't have electricity, uh, and it's and it's really hard when you can't stay warm and when you can't stay hydrated and when you cannot stay fed. That's beyond politics. It's 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 about it's egregious to um, our right as human beings to take care of each other, to provide clean water, um, access to housing. I mean, these are basic rights that are being violated. This is not about politics. This is about uh, egregious uh, desecration of human rights, which should uh, outrage all of us. I'm going to give my phone number again if people mm -hmm. have any ideas how to help with um, in their own way uh, to contribute to Kamchitsky. Uh, my phone number is area code 510-459-9448. That's 510-459-9448. And, you know, it's it's important to stand up, say something. Um, it's, it, it you know, as Maria was saying, it could happen, could happen anywhere, something like this. Could happen, and, and I... 
I just can't imagine what they're going through. Women, children, there's children who have no, no parents anymore. And, uh, um, or who have to stay in, in, in bomb shelters rather than going to school. Exactly. Sirens happening all the time. No water, no drinking water um, uh, in some areas. And, you know, and, and, it's, and the soldiers on both sides are, are young people are going, being forced to go to war um, to defend themselves in Ukraine. And in Russia, they're being forced to fight and invade. And who does this serve? You know, I just would like to the youth of countries. Yes. I would just like to maybe leave us with a word of inspiration. If you want to get together as a group of friends or a neighborhood or a town and do sort of direct, you know, community to community, people to people kind of help to support this Ukraine, support the people of Ukraine in whatever way you can and in whatever way you see, you see fit. Um, this, this is why, you know, I invited Mary Rose to be on because, uh, She's kind of a catalyst to make that kind of thing happen in our community. Um, I, I, and I just, uh, you know, want to share the information with you so that if you feel inspired to help, uh, there's, there's a channel. There's many ways to support Ukraine, as Mary Rose said earlier. Many organizations are doing things. I just, my interest is to keep, help keep the focus on the suffering that the people in Ukraine are going through and hopefully inspire some community to community and people to people connection. Um, to to help alleviate the suffering of the people in Ukraine. And support KZYX also, because this uh, community station makes a difference in so many ways. Thank you, Ohana, for having me on your show. And thank you, Mary Rose Kaczorowski, and thank you, dear listeners. It's 10 o'clock, which means we got to go back to Philo. Thanks for listening. I'll be back in two weeks, um, and we're going to be talking about uh, grief and kindness. So stay tuned in again two weeks from today, and thanks for listening today. This is Johanna Weldock, and now we're going to Philo. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.